You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. In today's episode, you'll be getting an update from professional mining speculator and investor, Joe Mazumdar of explorationinsights.com. Joe runs a very popular, well-respected and successful newsletter. He has a background in geology as well as the finance side of the business and has worked for majors. So he really offers a unique perspective on the sector and where one might consider placing their investment dollars. So Joe, welcome back onto the show. Thanks, Bill. Thank you very much for having me again. I'd like to get your thoughts to start off with regarding TMAC resources. Uh, the government of Canada uh, put a nix on uh, the Chinese gold company's acquiring of TMAC. What do you think the significance of this is? And is there anything uh, broader principles that we should take away from what's occurred here? Okay, I mean, I'll preempt anything I say from right now is that uh, I have a lot more background noise than usual. Uh, the kids are on winter break. And so everybody's at home. Uh, so I'll give that to you right now. So I'll apologize in advance. But with respect to TMAC uh, Resources, which has the Hope Bay uh, underground uh, gold project um, uh, in the Northern Arctic, right on the uh, right on the uh, the ocean, um, it uh, was acquired, or uh, you know, there was a plan of arrangement between it and state-owned China, state-owned uh, Shandong Gold. And so that acquisition was earlier this year. It was a plan of arrangement. Uh, the Chinese regulators approved it, uh, as well as the shareholders of TMAC approved it. And also, I believe the uh, province of Ontario approved it. The pending approval was the Investment Review Board of Canada, which, as you point out, came back as negative. And uh, I think there's a there, there's an issue happening here, like uh, uh, in the background, is that, you know, we in Vancouver right now, we still have the Huawei executive that's now in, a, you know, this complex ex extradition treaty with the U.S., which the Chinese blame uh, Canada for. And so they have basically put two people in prison in uh, China, uh, you know, only a few days after that was announced. And then since then, the relationship between Canada and China hasn't been that great. But uh, the problem is TMAC is strategically on the coast. And uh, whether they want, you know, uh, not a public company, but a state-owned, a Chinese state-owned company operating in that part of the Arctic is a question. And I think right now with all the background happening between the Chinese and, uh, uh, and Canada, I, I don't think uh, many people thought that it would go through. And, and much to your point, the stock actually lifted after that announcement was made. And potentially because, you know, uh, people might think that it's an opportunity now with a higher gold price that it might get acquired by somebody else. But we must remember in the background that uh, the company is almost technically bankrupt. And so if you buy equity in TMAC from a takeover perspective, it wouldn't be in a position of uh, leverage. Do you think this is going to deter Chinese companies from trying to acquire assets in North America moving forward? Well, it might not only be North America, uh, you know, because they're having issues with Australia as well. And uh, Australia always had this policy that they wouldn't let a foreign entity own a uranium asset. But now that might pervade to other assets as well, um, you know, uh, especially China. 
So China is 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 in a um, in, in interesting position right now. It's it's probably one of the bigger economies that might actually grow this year. So its resurging demand has helped base metals, copper uh, specifically, but also oil. So uh, that's been very positive for for the market. But on the other side, its relationships with some of its biggest sources of metal, like Australia, has not been good. Uh, I, I realize, I mean, right now there's a, a dispute about some coal shipments right now that are sitting at port in, in China that haven't been allowed to actually dock. Uh, the vendors won't get let it come back to Australia and uh, and the purchasers won't let it uh, actually uh, come into shore. So, so there are some issues going on and what happens with those issues going forward is going to be interesting on the supply and demand of multiple commodities because as you know China is a consumer of many commodities for its economy. Another uh, proposed acquisition is Equinox Gold Corp, their acquisition, proposed acquisition of Premier Gold Mines. Uh, what do you think about this one, Joe? Uh, Equinox has been using that at the market merger to really try to grow quickly. Uh, do you like this proposed acquisition? Yeah, well, if we just talk about mergers of equals, I mean, that was probably started by the RAND um, merger of equal acquisition with, um, with Barrick. And since then, the industry, I mean, granted, not the MA being driven by state owned companies like China, but, you know, Western companies, has been driven by this idea of at the market merger of equals, no premium uh, takeouts. And the market has loved them. Uh, because they can see automatically the cut in GNA, they can see, and, and a lot of the mergers and acquisitions that I've seen have been actually they, they actually made sense. They weren't grow to grow. There was actually something um, you know that actually made sense, and you know we saw that with Endeavor and Taranga, the asset merger. I think with SSR and mining, as well as with Alisur. Uh, and now with Equinox buying Hard Rock, I mean that was the reason I owned Premier Gold was for their fifty percent stake in Hard Rock. And as we see in the background, Cote uh, Lake Gold Project is being advanced by IM Gold. That's another you know, low-grade open pit deposit in Ontario. Even lower grade is the, the Magino deposit, open pit deposit that's being advanced by Argonaut Gold. So these low-grade open pit projects are, seem to be in vogue right now to advance uh, by uh, mid-tier producers. And so... It makes sense that somebody that was a mid-tier producer focused on the Americas like Equinox would purchase 50% stake in Hard Rock. But what made this possible was taking the overhang, which was a legal dispute from by um, between Premier and Sentara Gold, which was the other owner of the 50% stake. Um, that was removed by Orion Mine Finance, a private equity company actually taking over Santero's portion. And once that was relieved and Santero was out of the picture, then suddenly the 50% that premier actually was worth something. And so, uh, you know, in the end, we might see Equinox own 100% of the asset and take over the private equities portion. Uh, but it's a, you know, significant annual production. Uh, it's permitted, great jurisdiction, great infrastructure, and its grade, which is, I think, about 1.3 grams per ton is you're probably 30% higher than Cote and, uh, and Magino. Um, so yeah, the, those sort of low risk jurisdiction, not infrastructurally challenged, big deposits are not everywhere. 
and so I could see why Equinox would have made a move on this quickly, like they made it a day after uh, the uh, the announcement by Orion Mine Finance in the same week. You think next year in 2021, we could see more acquisitions with premiums 80% and above the current share price of the developers? Well, I, I, the premiums have always, um, you know, been a negotiating tool, you know, with, you know, like what do the board and management, where do their options get triggered? You know, who's a big holder of the stock that might have some warrants due that they want to be in the money. So that's always a negotiation. I mean, is it 20%? Is it 30%? Or do I need to bring in these 50%, uh, you know, over the market warrants? And so uh, that's an issue, um, that gets negotiated. Uh, uh, but I think on the the big side, what we're seeing this merger of equal is that one management team is basically done, that uh, their comparative advantage with respect to advancing this project, or they've been in, in for so, so much time that they're looking for a liquidity event and moving on and doing what they're good at, which might be expiration or something like that. Uh, this is an opportunity. You get shares, but you get shares in a more liquid company and you move on and shareholders don't mind that because a lot of the retail shareholders would take this as a win and move on. But, but the impetus now is for those companies to actually accrue the value prior to the liquidity event because the liquidity event itself might not garner that premium that you're looking for, which was in the previous cycle when we saw the 50 to 60% premium and then the uh, the lag of dilutive M and A on the um, on the balance sheets that weighed on companies for the next five years after you know the peak gold price. So right now, uh, uh, producers are in a much better position with their balance sheets. They're generating free cash flow. They're bringing in general investors by upping their dividends, and now they're looking to grow or you know with the bigger companies just to run to stand still. And their pipelines are, you know, are not robust. So now they need to add projects. But the caveat right now is with COVID, their travel restrictions prevent people from doing a lot of the due diligence. And so, you know, these guys with Premier and Equinox could do it. They're both, you know, Canada-based, the assets in Canada, so due diligence is possible. But if that asset was in somewhere else where the due diligence wouldn't be possible, it might not be so easy to close the deal as quickly as they did. So if you're looking for M&A, you might have to be patient, even though logically it makes sense that these assets should be acquired. You know, there might be an overhang with COVID restrictions, um, you know, that, that might prevent the negotiations from actually closing. Dore Copper Mining is a premier near-term high-grade copper and gold redevelopment opportunity with tremendous exploration potential only 14 kilometers from the town of Shibugamu in mine-friendly Quebec. Dore Copper is debt-free and owns a 2,700 ton per day mill with an 8 million ton tailings facility ready to be used. There is already power to site and it is accessible by paved highway and rail. Dore Copper aims to produce a profitable hub-and-spoke operation of over 100,000 gold equivalent ounces per year or over 60 million pounds of copper equivalent by 2024. Because of the existing infrastructure and location, a low capex is anticipated to recommence production. Dore Copper trades under DCMC in Toronto and under DRCMF on the OTC. To learn more, go to DoreCopper.com. That's DoreCopper.com. Joe, if you were to buy just one gold producer right now in the market, what gold producer would it be and why? 
Okay, so um, in terms of gold producers, I mean, uh, it is exploration insight, so we don't do a lot of production, but I recognize the fact that, you know, when you have a run in a commodity, the ones that go up the most uh, quickly and could get you a quick double without you even blinking an eye are the producers. I saw that when I worked for Phelps Dodge, when copper price went from 55 cents to over two bucks. So I, I don't want to ignore that part of the market. And what I did previously was I bought Pan American silver. And I still like it, uh, you know, uh, just because, you know, even though they had about a 30% cut in silver production over the first nine months of the year, they still generated free cash flow. They still upped their dividend twice. And they're still bringing their silver production guidance down. I mean, to the lower end of their revised guidance. So they had all the issues with COVID, but still generated free cash flow because they were levered to the precious metal cycle and they have they produce both silver and gold. But on top of that, you know, they have embedded options to develop with the Navidad project in Chubut and with the Escobal restart, uh, the big underground silver project in Guatemala. And uh, during the time of COVID, you know, obviously we know that a lot of countries have been negatively impacted by um, by COVID, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the GDP. And so they need a lot of foreign direct investment. So if there ever was a time potentially in the period that they've owned both assets, that there might be a window of opportunity to actually restart Escobal or even develop Navidad, it, it might be now. So, so that's another reason to hold uh, Pan American. But in addition to that, in addition to free cash flow generation, upping the dividends to uh, attract generalists, great balance sheet, embedded options in two major silver assets, they actually found and discovered La Colorado Scarn at their own asset. So they've also got the chops on expiration. So that's why I hold Pan-American silver, and it is one of the ones that provides the most leverage to precious metals that I've seen. Regarding uranium, uh, Cameco recently announced that they're going to temporarily suspend production at Cigar Lake. Uh, any commentary here you could provide? So, um, you know, previously when when uh, Cameco, you know, cut, uh, you know, closed down Cigar Lake, it was more uh, uranium market related. Uh, so this is more COVID related. So this is similar to what we've seen when we saw the up, you know, the uptick in uranium prices when Kazakhstan had to, you know, uh, cut a lot of its production because of COVID. Now we've got the same thing happening in Saskatchewan because we've got a blowout of cases in Saskatchewan, and it's harder to control COVID nineteen, um, you know, protocols with an underground mine because people are, tend to be closer together, and so they've had a, you know, a mini outbreak there where, and they've decided that even though. This is a major operation and care maintenance costs a lot of money that it's better that they take a step back, control it before coming back in again. And, uh, you know, uh, that's that's what happens in operations. But it's a boon for uranium companies uh, because now we're taking something else off the supply front and maybe it will trigger, you know, some of the, the, the plants to say, oh, geez, you know, uh, maybe I need to look at other sources, not just underground sources that might have more, you know, issues with COVID. I mean, a chemical is going to meet the needs of their contract by actually purchasing in the market, you know, to to supply, uh, uh, you know, their contracts. But in the end, you might look at that and say, you know, where's my risk with respect to supply? 
And and now what we've seen as well in the uranium market is, you know, that strategic stockpile, you know, that actually like looks like it's going to be coming through. And so that's going to be a boon to U.S. producers right now, you know, like like energy fuels. And so when we get back to the story about China and how they're interacting with the world, the other issue is that, you know, companies might want to, you know, contract the supply chain and look for these metals and these commodities closer to home rather than, oh, you know, you know, we might produce it, but then it gets to China to refine and then we buy back the final product. Well, why don't we actually, because we're mining it anyway, why don't we value add and produce our own product as opposed to sending it over there and coming back? You know, so there might be a little bit more of that going forward, you know, potentially with, with, with a Biden administration as well, because, you know, those manufacturing jobs might be something that they want to uh, uh, give a boon to. Regarding the Biden administration, what are the key opportunities and risks that you see, if you could just share a thumbnail overview? Okay, I mean, during the Trump administration, what was noticeable was the actual permitting process was much quicker. Uh, you know, and, and I've heard about that in Nevada and that, but that didn't change how things happened in, you know, California or anything like that. So the, it's not just federally how permitting works. There's state-owned and there's also local. So if the locals are against a project, no matter what place, unless you're under like a dictatorship, it's difficult with social license to operate to actually build a project. And, and you saw that with Pebble. Pebble's a huge copper gold deposit. Uh, you know, two majors looked at it, walked away, or three actually, um, uh, and they were advancing the permitted. Then they got a naked, negative record of decision from the U.S. Corps of Engineers earlier this year. You know, and the stock went down about seventy percent after you know going up incredibly uh, with, the, with the with the copper market and that previously. So. Um, whether it's a Biden administration and or the Trump administration, which, you know, the, the negative decision was actually under the Trump administration, you know, permitting is not easy in the states, regardless. But under a Biden administration, I would see the process take longer, you know, that there would be more hoops, sort of like to get your drilling permit, to get a water access, you know, whatever, you know, on, on federal land. I, I would see that process slowing. But on the other side, like I said, with respect to maybe they want to bring more production, like the idea about rare earths production being local and not depending on the Chinese, which is restricting their exports. I think that's real. But the problem is you can't just produce the raw materials and then send it off to Asia to get processed. You got to think about adding that value add with the processing facilities, which is something in North America we haven't done very well, whether it's in oil, copper, or what have you. You know, we, we tend to send the intermediate or the raw material where they've built up the manufacturing capacity in Asia. And then we get not only we don't get the, you know, the final metal product or alloy, we end up getting the toy or the car or, you know, what have you. So right now, uh, or the phone, uh, so right now, I think that there might be some push to contract supply chains, and but you would have to look like, there's no point in saying, hey, you know, we have a copper asset in, uh, in, in the States, we should build it because then, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's something in the States, but that doesn't really matter because you can't smelt and refine. There's not many places you can smelt and refine that copper concentrate 
in the States. You're going to have to send it to Japan, China, Korea, somewhere else uh, to be smelted because uh, we haven't permitted, you guys haven't permitted those facilities. So uh, that, that's an issue that's, that, that maybe the Biden administration will look at. But knowing that uh, environmentally, you know, they'll be pretty hard on industries like coal. Mm -hmm. Yep. Before you go, Joe, would you be willing to share a recent stock that you've added to your mining stock portfolio? Yeah, a recent one um, I added was, you know, uh, uh, you know, Peru is a bit of a contrarian play right now because of the issues they've had with COVID. The fact that, you know, they've had three presidents in a couple of weeks. And uh, they're just, uh, you know, undergoing another presidential election um, uh, in, in 2021. Uh, but uh, I picked up an expiration play called uh, Pucara Gold um, after their financing, uh, just so I know that they have money. And they're drilling this um, high sulfidation epithermal project in, in southern Peru, and they've got the drills rolling. But problematically, because of COVID protocols, which, um, you know, we've seen in all the assay labs in, in the Americas, um, you know, what normally takes three to four weeks takes six to eight weeks. Those first results we probably won't see until the new year. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, that's like a, a potentially a, a nice epithermal project if they hit, that would be quite a boon uh, uh, for them. Excellent. All right, Joe's website is explorationinsights.com. If you're a serious speculator deploying a significant amount of money, I encourage you to go check it out. And if you just want uh, Joe's latest interviews or some articles that he writes, educational resources, you can also find that at explorationinsights.com. Joe, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Bill. And uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. And don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors, and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.